Hello, and welcome to another episode of PPC Town Hall. My name is Fred Valles, and I'm your host. I'm also the co-founder of Optimizer. And uh, this is our second to last episode of 2020, and 2020 is the year when we started doing these town halls. So we wanted to make it one of the best ones yet, and hopefully actually the best one yet. So to do that, we brought in some of our favorite speakers, and uh, we're going to talk about automation you know we all love the topic of automation but uh, but really we wanted to frame the conversation today in terms of let's take some of the smartest people in ppc and let's just hear how they're dealing with all the automation that's coming from google whether it's smart shopping smart bidding um seasonality bid adjustments let's see what they're doing what's working what's not working and let's get really tactical here so uh we have three great guests and let's get rolling with another episode of ppc town hall All right, and we're back here with our guests. And uh, many of these guests that we have uh, are reading a good book that's out there right now, Joe. Uh, but they're also on the top 25 PPC expert lists uh, that comes out every year. So uh, we got Kirk Williams, Joe Martinez, and Aaron Levy. Guys, welcome to the show again. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Fred. All right, uh, where's everybody calling in from? Kirk, let's start with you. What's uh, What's new in Billings? Yeah, definitely. I'm calling in from my basement uh, in Billings, Montana, and uh, it is cold here. Bundled up the kids as we send them off to school because um, they do go in and out of school with quarantines and such. So we're doing that, figuring that out and doing PPC as well. Very nice. Does anyone have their bingo cards ready for when uh, one of Kirk's children walks in on the show? <laughs> there's only, Believe it or not, there's only one uh here and the gate is locked upstairs so we okay, have a gate so. he can't get down so the odds are heavily reduced oh yeah <laughs> joe what basement are you in i am also in my basement you are very true um i'm in milwaukee wisconsin nice thanks for joining us yes um and joe of course uh at clicks marketing but also uh has a very popular youtube channel so let's show that real quick um so Joe is part of Paid Media Pros, puts out videos how many times a week, Joe? Twice. Twice a week. Um, and they're usually pretty funny, right? So uh, you try to have fun with it. So definitely check it out. And also really good advice. What's the late, last one you did there? Uh, last one I did was about Reddit uh, pixel retargeting, which was kind of released more universal just in October. Um, so I just kind of go over, if you just want to do basic site-wide visit, you know, remarketing on Reddit, that's fine, but they also go into the uh, individual conversion events that you can create uh, and do retargeting off of those or exclusions off of those as well. Nice. We don't talk much about Reddit here. So uh, who is on Reddit? What kind of ads are you running on there? For uh, when I've done it in the past, I don't have any currently right now, but it has been very high level branding okay. uh, type ads because the industries I were in, um, people didn't want to be marketed to and that, that crowd can really go behind you or they could I, I've said it before, they could rip you apart pretty easily. So it, it, it could be, you really have to research your audience before really diving in. But we use it for really just brand building. No cool. no ask at all. Just, hey, we're, we're fun. And cool. people engage with that better. All right. So check out that video if you want to learn how to get on Reddit. 
Aaron, uh, it doesn't look like you're in the basement. You got some natural light in there. I'm above, I'm above ground. <laughs> What's funny though is that this this room only has one window, and it's about like six inches wide, and it's over there. So in the fall, I'm getting used to looking like Two Face because this side of my face is really well lit, and this side is pitch black. <laughs> and uh, wait, you're calling from Philadelphia? Yep. Uh, it's Kirk, like you. It's a little chilly here. I had to pull out the the stuff in the sweater drawer, but our version of chili is probably a little bit different than Billings version in, or Milwaukee's version of chili. So it's still golf season for me. Hey, it's pretty damn cold here in California too. What's cold? What's California cold? Yeah. 68. <laughs> you know, 70. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually colder than that in the Bay area. It's like puffer jacket weather. Yeah. So, uh, hey, uh, everyone, thanks for watching. So tell us where you're calling in from. Uh, we'd love to hear where you're at today. And then, uh, yeah, let's jump into some of the topics while we see where folks are from. So uh, Pedro's calling us, um, saying that these are, in fact, top guys. Okay, so great. Vote, uh, vote of confidence. Um, Pedro also likes Kirk's book. Good. And so we'll have some more people uh, chiming in here where they're coming from. But uh, topics-wise, I think we, we should talk about Black Friday, right? So that's just behind us. We all just did Thanksgiving here in the United States. Um, store visits generally seem to have dropped off for retailers. Uh, not exactly surprising given the circumstances of the year. But what did we see in uh, online? What, what have you guys seen? I mean, at least from our side, we saw... Can I jump ahead and talk about the whole Cyber Weekend? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, Black Friday was bigger than usual. Cyber Monday was slower than usual. Uh, it logically makes sense because Black Friday, everyone sort of has their their need to go bargain hunting and door busting and camp outside in a parking lot for whatever reason. Um, so in theory, it's kind of pent up demand that everyone just took that online. And I think uh, I won't speak for the group. Yes, I will. Uh, but you guys chime in too. Everyone saw Cyber Monday is kind of quiet. Uh, because it's the same as it's always been. So it wasn't necessarily exciting. So in theory, the weekend when people weren't trying to ignore their families, pacing out shopping a little bit more. But Joe, Kirk, I'm curious what you guys yeah, think. And, uh, it's interesting because the last episode we did, uh, we pulled in some research from Microsoft and they had said that Black Friday would actually yeah. have slower growth than expected and Cyber Monday was going to be the one that would pop. Yep. And then, so now in the reports, like some people are saying that didn't actually happen, but in other reports, it did happen. But I think all in all, online has just grown. And whether it was on Friday or Monday or now in Cyber Week, I mean, it's basically this whole notion that there are no more one-day events. They all keep going on and on until people have hit their sales quotas, I suppose. Um, I mean, so we saw... Sorry, Fred, didn't mean to interrupt you. We, we saw the same thing pretty much as Aaron, although I've heard of others saying differently. But to me, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because a lot of people were running sales earlier than normal. Um, they had a Black Friday week or even month long sales. I think people honestly are, are bored. There's early sales. I think people were buying earlier this year. We were seeing that in clients as well. And so in some ways, what we kind of saw in our numbers was Black Friday was almost like the capstone, like big event. And then it started to come down from there. We saw a little bit of a dip on Cyber Monday, but really it seemed this year that it was kind of a big earlier sales season, really spiked in Black Friday. Everyone was excited. And then they were kind of done. Yeah. And what did you, was that driven by people fearing stuff wouldn't get to their houses in time or was it like discounts based? 
That that's a good that's a good point. Um, that might be some of it. You know, I don't I don't know exactly all the reasoning, right? But definitely there there is a concern of mail delivery and, and all that. We have, I don't know, it's like everywhere else, but in Billings, um, and we're not that big, right? But we'll see, we'll see like a UPS truck backed up to like a U-Haul truck on the road, and they're they're shoving packages in and using U-Hauls and stuff to deliver. So, you know, they're doing a great job, but definitely people are probably a little concerned this year of what that's going to be like. Um, and then, yeah, so shipping, shipping days, shipping delays and all that as well. And then we even saw, because of more of the earlier extended sales season, we I feel like we saw more out of stock products, more sales that went quicker this year, products that went quicker and then headed so out. So a little bit of fear buying months. then, right? So people were yeah. like, well, the discount's pretty good and it might get bigger, but stuff might also run out. Yeah, it, we I, I think definitely fear based for sure, because I know I bought stuff from Target. I know I didn't do small business. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but like Target on Black Friday sent out an email saying there's already delays in shipping. Still going to get there by Christmas, but it's already delayed. There's two other things I wanted to get for my kids, and it said it'd be eight weeks to ship, so I'm not going to get it. So, And that was just this past week, and I know some of that was starting earlier. To copy what both Aaron and what Kirk was saying, it was Black Friday was definitely much bigger than Cyber Monday. But what Kirk was saying, we definitely saw it earlier. So for us, it was more of like Black Friday in general was lower than expected, but the entire month of November was higher than expected. So it's almost like black November. Some stuff was reactionary right. to competitors starting early and their reaction be like, oh shoot, now now we gotta do it too early. And it kind of kicked off like first, second week of November for a few of ours. Right. And I think I mean we've all been to the stores and I don't know what it's like where you are, but toilet paper is gone again. And I think it's like a trigger and people are like, wait, if that's gone again, what else is going to be gone? Yeah. Um, and so they're making those commitments earlier and earlier. And then with the very generous return policies, like why wouldn't you just stock up early, right? And we've been we've been calling it kind of kind of the locust effect that it's it's like an interesting so I'm like kind of anthropological and like I like watching human behavior like this. And it's combined with the virality uh, of social and stuff like that. The second stock starts to deplete on something, people are like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I got to go to the next one. Oh no, oh no, there's no toilet paper on the shelves, so I must buy all of it because it must be a problem. Um, but it's been weird to watch, and it's certainly been hard to predict inventory spikes, especially if you you work on like a marketplace or something. Target, for example, I don't, or, or Kohl's or whoever it may be. I don't envy their merch team or their marketing team because I'm sure that they're like, okay, we're fine on toilet paper. Where'd it go? Uh, nope. yeah. <laughs> and then you have random distrib distribution places that are shut down maybe with COVID, um, you know, things, uh, virus sweeps through, they got to shut it down. My wife every year for Thanksgiving makes this specific like tapioca salad. It's like the thing, you know, that she ate as a kid growing up. It's like strawberry and all that. And uh, she could not find tapioca. It was it was nowhere in Billings. And they, they said it had something to do with that. You know, sometimes they'll see that where something happens with the distributor or or maybe for some reason people were stockpiling tapioca. I don't know, with their toilet paper. <laughs> they go together. I don't know. Um, and everybody was celebrating separately. Right. So they all had to buy the big buckets of tapioca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her, her salad got out. The secret of her salad got out and everyone's right. buying it up. Um, so I'd love to share some numbers here from the Tenuity blog. So I'm going to put that full screen. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you want to walk us through it, but some some really good research there, right, on exactly what happened on Black Friday in terms of CPCs across different uh, channels on different days. 
Yeah, so the Andy decided to make all the charts the same color, so I have to see which, which one you're looking at. Very cool. You're all. Uh, <laughs> is that the that's the Google one, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I mean we we did see a lot of that. I mean, shopping inventory and shopping spend went up across most of our clients, which again, pretty logical. Um, people aren't going to the stores to buy stuff. So in turn, advertisers aren't doing their big Black Friday push. So in turn, there's leftover money because they have to spend all their money on circulars and information like that. So it goes over to Google um, or Amazon. But the the post is really worth a read for those of you who don't know Andy Taylor. He's a wizard and is the smartest math person I yeah, know. I'm still trying to get him onto the show. So uh, can you put in a good word for us? Uh, I'll try to think of ways to bribe him. Um, <laughs> but it, no, I mean, this this information reflects largely what we just discussed. I mean, again, it's it's a bit different from what a lot of the big advertise or big engines like Google and Microsoft were forecasting, but it also logically makes sense as you start thinking about it. Um, you know, Black Friday is usually a time where everyone, yeah, most people aside from us who work in retail, uh, are off work, so they're looking for something to do. They're not with their families, so in turn, they spend a lot more time shopping. And it was much less of a open the floodgates at seven in the morning when everyone's emails go out. There was less of reminder emails since a lot of the sales were longer term, as Kirk mm -hmm. and Joe mentioned. And everyone shipping cutoffs are really early, so it seems like everyone tried to get all or most of their shopping done really fast and. Mobile didn't spike up as much as it usually does because people were at their houses with their computers. It was less of, oh no, I'm in my mom's house and like I just broke her favorite things. I buy a new thing. Uh, it's yeah. it, again, it's been interesting to watch. And so let's bring this uh, home to the topic of automation, right? So this has been an unusual year with things stretched out, happening at different times. Like, are any of you guys using automation, automated bidding, and and has it worked well in context of this year? Yeah, I mean, what what I'll say, and, and you know, we work with we tend to work with larger data sets. Tunuity tends to focus on uh, larger enterprise clients, so smart bidding in general tended to work pretty well for us. This is one of those scenarios where it's a little bit one of one of the things that I always pick on smart bidding for is that it has too short of a memory. This holiday season has been one of those scenarios where that's really valuable. Um, because it didn't try to base itself off of what happened last year. Right. So in turn, at least at least for us, uh, it kept up pretty well and, and responded pretty well. And did you do any tricks in terms of like using seasonality bid adjustments or other things uh, schedule-wise? We, we did. Uh, we use seasonality adjustments pretty religiously for most of our, our larger clients. So say we would start seeing some velocity or we have seen in the past couple of weeks that noon was really popular uh we'd start tweaking our seasonality adjustments up or down to say expected conversion rate is higher now uh and it, it again it moved pretty quick uh, it tended to react and, and did what we wanted it to do kirk what did you see we saw the same thing I, I regret to inform you that smart bidding did really well for us um so uh we we tried both seasonality adjustments and not seasonal adjustments um we ran it Tried it some counts. Uh, smart bidding worked well with our well, seasonality yeah, adjustments. Smart bidding inside smart shopping campaigns or smart bidding on text um, ads. Um, uh, I would say, I would say across the board, at least from what we were seeing. 
Um, we saw smart shopping do really well in handling the uh, the the Black Friday, you know, the the craziness. Um, we had smart bidding on our on our text campaigns doing real well. Um, Honestly, you're, overall, I'm you're impressed. one of the more advanced guys, right? So I'm assuming you're not just like flipping the switch on smart bidding and smart and have like one smart shopping campaign. Like uh, it worked for you, but what was the trick here? Yeah, we try we try to have a little bit of a combination of both um, standard and smart, as well as some of that is just kind of constantly testing them, seeing what's working, what's not. Um, but then some of that is trying to. I'm I'm still trying to really figure out a. a an awesome strategy of trying to think through both because with standard, you get more of that control of saying, here are the specific search terms we're focused on, which um, sometimes, even if they're not always directly converting is still valuable, especially for brands. Um, as just one example, it might be a brand who really wants to position themselves in a certain area with what people are talking about or seeking out where they don't have a history of sales, or maybe even people aren't quite ready to buy yet, but the brand wants to position there, right? Right. Um, that's going to work. Uh, not like the last click attribution and uh, the final keyword right before the sale, but sort of like building the funnel and being aggressively right. really going after a new market segment. Mm -hmm. And so that might be an instance where standard is, is a better fit because we're really able to target those specific terms, um, especially with like a search term strategy where you're utilizing different priority structures and all that. But smart. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I love asking questions, so I'm sorry to interrupt. But um, in terms of smart shopping, Right, so Google figures out the keywords and the targeting. Do you ever like mess around with the feed and duplicate products or have other tricks up your sleeve to kind of like get stuff in the upper funnel queries that might not be quite as specific to that one product? With with smart shopping or just no, with shopping. one? Yeah. Well, um, I, mean, I guess it kind of applies to both, right? Because they both use the Google Merchant Feed as their base. Mm -hmm. We do. It's funny because about... A year or two ago, we were even chatting with like a Googler who was telling us, yeah, dupe. Basically, he told us straight up, hey, dupe the products, put Black Friday in the front of the title, right? Um, that's a new, it's a new product, change the ID, all that. And uh, we had a few months back, we had a product where, or, or a client where we had some, some dupe things going on. This was actually an accidental thing, long story that we will save for another time that their team had done clicked a button on Shopify, all of a sudden they have dupe products, right? They were actually disapproved. Um, so, and and by the way, I've been seeing Google Merchant Center filters far more aggressive than in the past. So I, I actually think that Google's really kind of starting to um, watch that, all that stuff a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but but definitely to answer your question in the sense of definitely trying to figure out ways with the feed and and, and like you said and that's one of the th those things where we're really trying to think through creatively okay so smart shopping it's not just search it's on display it's on YouTube it's on all that hey um, let's let rather than be frustrated that we can't just control the search terms like really how can we use that to our benefit to get in front of all those people that for some reason Google, wants to buy from us cool and one of the things that i don't hear a lot of people talking about that i think there's opportunity with smart shopping more is figuring out ways in your campaigns because and i would love for google to change this but um you have one ad basically per campaign that you can set up really with smart shopping so I, I'd, I'd love them to have some sort of either different ads or different ad groups or whatever but we'll we'll we're trying more and more to figure out hey how can we group products around that ad creative because 
it, it really is more of a creative aspect to shopping than has ever been before, even arguably showcase. And so kind of experimenting with, with that as well. Um, so really using the power of like, hey, Google's going to show this thing on YouTube ads and all that. It's going to have ads. It has the image. You can put a video in there. Really kind of orchestrate it now around the ad creative, choosing your products wisely, things like that. We've right. seen that uh, begin to work really well. So, And sort of one of my thoughts around this is that, you know, we used to have like this uh, AdWords system and we would optimize little pieces within that, whether they'd be bids or ads or targeting. But Google is automating within that sphere of what AdWords or Google Ads is. So to us, like we're being pushed to the periphery of that system. Uh, but it's interesting. And that's where the whole new best practices come in, because now you can sort of manage things, but at the periphery of the ad system, but that still feeds into the ad system and modifies what the ads look like. So I think that's a little bit what you're talking about, right, is, is use that feed to figure out how you actually uh, manipulate the ads, even though technically you might think, well, we don't get to control the ads from from shopping or smart shopping. Um, right. So th that, that's one concept that I'm thinking more and more about. Like, and, and I think the other point that you made, which is really interesting is, you know, you could be happy with the results that you're getting from the smart shopping campaign, right? But if you're watching this and if you're, you know, one of us, you're not happy with average results. Like we get paid to, to deliver more than average, right? Um, so it's like, what are those new best practices? And Joe, I'd love to hear from you, like anything in your world that's like dramatically shifted and we're seeing a brand new opportunity that a lot of people might not realize yet. Uh, now we, just in terms of how it shifted, I know I mentioned when our kind of Black Friday started earlier than, than possible, our, our seasonality bidding kind of was thrown out the window of what we expected to do. Um, I, I'm unlike Aaron, Aaron looks with more enterprise, you know, larger data sets, Mine are mostly smaller clients, very niche products, sometimes higher ticket item type products. So we understand that those really aren't necessarily the impulse buys. So we're looking at more of the time of day, understanding that it's going to take multiple touch points for a user to buy this product. And we hit them enough with discovery on social and Google and everything initially. But then we're seeing that they later go back on, on their phones at night. And, you know, if they're higher ticket items, you know, sometimes when the parents have to wait to do their things after the kids go to bed, it was the late night hours that we're seeing the better performance. So it's just readjusting the different schedules because last year's schedule doesn't apply to us this year. And then just updating how we wanted to boost our bidding and performance on that aspect. Sorry, I hit my mic there. Joe, you just figured out a question for me fred i'm taking your job i'm gonna ask a question really? i mean there's four uh, people call like well, I, I actually I'm, I'm off you guys handle it this is like this is like when they say manage up i'm interviewing up um what about demographics did you guys see any change in demographics in the seed that i'm that is is for pulling this and honestly i haven't looked at our accounts yet um but the concept of digital newbies um there's a lot of people that historically were store only or obviously skews older, some seniors who normally would go to the store are now trying to figure out this internet computer machine thing. Um, did you see any changes in your ad demographics and performance conversion rate, things like that? Yeah, yeah. the one I just mentioned, like their goal, I mean, it's it's an item that their, their goal is ideally would be like top 10, top 5%. It's a high ticket price item that people would want in their house. That um, was usually like a go-to demographic that we would see. Um, and then the actually like the unknown category just skyrocketed. 
like within this past six months. Um, it's 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 not a, really a, affecting anything more in terms of like, is it something that we really try to push more? Do we update any bids towards on this one because it's still converting? Not as well as the top 10%, but they got to be in there somewhere. You know, it, it's there still have to be more in there. It's It's that type of calculation that we're trying to work through as well. Gender demographic, no difference at all. Age range, a little bit on the older one, but also I, I think just in general, we saw a boost from like the 18 to 24 age range, and that's definitely not who they want because most of them don't have the money to buy some of these products. Um, but it, it's some of those that we've seen, it's just the household income one that was the biggest change than what we've seen. And that was that was six months. That wasn't just like recently because of holiday stuff. And I want to show something that's interesting on that topic. So this is the search engine land article, and I've highlighted that sentence. But um, as far as like digital newbies, so how do you convert them, right? So they're not that used to shopping online. So it looks here like retailers that were offering curbside pickup had a strong increase in conversion rate. Um, so that seems to be like one of the things bridging that divide and getting the digital newbies who are used to going to the store maybe to like do a bit of a hybrid approach. Well, it's, I mean, it, it's interesting. something that we've seen, Joe, much like you over the last yeah, six or so months. This is going to sound rudimentary, but a return to, to basics. Um, to be blunt, I've somewhat abandoned calls to action over time. Like if you're showing people a picture of a product, they know that you want them to buy it. But returning back to some of that stuff and almost giving turn by turn directions to these people that aren't digitally native seems like it works. Like, okay, you click here, you enter this, this is what's going to happen. You buy it, this is when it's going to come to you, or you can come get it if you want. Do any of you guys, I personally don't, do any of you guys have any e-com clients that also have brick and mortar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you, have you looked at anything in terms of like store visits in, in correlation with that? Like, would they count like the store visit column? I'm literally asking because I don't have any sense of familiar with it. Has that factored in at all in terms of those metrics within Google? I mean, I... I'd, I'd let you answer that too, right? But I would think that's kind of a weird metric at this point to look at because in so many places, store capacity is limited to 10% because of what's going on. But would it, would it count in terms of uh, curbside pickup? Um, it, is that it, close it, enough proximity to even trigger? I'm going to do the thing we all hate. Uh, it probably depends. <laughs> um, it depends how precise of a location they could get. Like if it's if it's in a mall, which realistically wouldn't be getting stuff anyway. No. Yeah. If it's in the back pickup area of a mall, maybe. If it's in a strip mall, probably would count. If it's a standalone store, it, yeah, it should track them all. But that's an interesting data set. I should look at that's that. a good question. You're welcome. And then, someone uh, answered that. So, okay, <laughs> assuming that you have that data, yes, yeah, somebody, please do answer. Uh, but assuming that you have the data, how would you use it? Would you actually factor it into quote unquote conversions, which then feeds into the automated bidding, or would you just sort of treat that as a separate thing that you just monitor for now? It varies a lot depending on clients, because like all things, it also depends on uh, cost and revenue centers. So maybe the digital team isn't incentivized to drive people to the store. So we want to discourage it, even though these are kind of contrary to what we might want to do as a business. That's how the world works sometimes. But those that are a little bit more holistic, what we might do is look in, and this feeds into a, a, a topic on just how we look at search as a whole now, but coach the bid tool to do what we want. 
So if we see that like this demographic, this set of terms, this set of ads, whatever, tends to convert better as uh, you know an in-store pickup than it would be as a standard e-com thing. Okay, let's take that group, pivot it, tell smart bidding that we want more store visits for this. That group can go, and then we'll keep the other stuff towards the more conventional. And how? Okay, so that makes sense, right? So you want to prioritize the audience that you care about, whether it's store visitors or new customers who haven't shopped from you before or whatever it is that you care about the most. So, so practically, how do you get that in place? What um, so I'm just going to jump ahead again. Uh, this is going to kind of answer the how do we structure our campaigns right now in general? Like, what's new? What have we abandoned? So the way that we look at it is essentially conversion runways. Um, what if you think about smart bidding on its most practical level, it largely looks at expected conversion rate. So the way that we think about it is, okay, what do we expect this group of, frankly, people to do? Um, you know, talking about skags and keywords, if intent is fundamentally different, yeah, we'll split them out. If not, we'll compress. Uh, we all know that that Google and frankly, every engine is pushing towards consolidation and so are we. Um, it's a little bit more of establishing runways for the automation to make the right decisions. And right, yeah, sorry, those runways, like, sorry to interrupt, but like if you have these more uh, granular structures, right? So you might break out one group if you think it's different. Like, is that then for the purpose of setting a different TROS? For correct. That okay. Correct. Correct. So we split this group out, and sometimes it's audience based, sometimes it's keyword based, sometimes it's interaction based, sometimes it's demographic or Google right. audience based. Like in the back of your head, you're also doing a lifetime value calculation. Like, what's the probable? Yeah, I mean, somewhat. You don't want to shrink data too much to the point that you're making bad assumptions. So it's one of those things where the way that we look at it is, is performance different? Is value to the business different? Does messaging need to be different? If the answer is no, then don't split them out uh, because smart bidding will work better with more yeah. inputs and more information. If any of those things do need to be different, that's where you start looking at new campaigns, new ad groups, new ad sets, whatever it may be. Yeah, and with messaging being different, and I want to hear from Joe because I know you're a big messaging guy. Uh, but like one frustration that we sometimes face is like we have these responsive search ads that we put in all these components, and next thing you know, it's like literally every piece of like description that we've put in there, it's in the ad, and the ad just is complete nonsense, but it's got a gajillion calls to action, and it looks like junk, right? Yeah, when Google's uh, doing these things. Yeah, there, there's ones that we will utilize the pin option on them to just to make sure that certain ele elements of them show. It's something that we've we definitely consider as we're mapping it out. That's something that we will honestly show in front of clients too. We get up to this many headlines. These are the ones that they show. Would it make sense if this came before this? And, and would it be a good ad if these three even shown shown up? Okay, if so, if you really don't want that combination, which one of these can we remove? You know, does it really make sense to add all these variations if four of them pretty much say the same thing? Um, Google's going to flag it. They're going to say, you should add more keywords in your headlines. So I don't want six headlines in there that are all just keyword focused. It looks like junk. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's it's one of the that we, we've honestly just just played around with is what makes sense. You know, what and that's where we kind of focus on value prop. Maybe I'll pin a first one that's made more sense to the product type thing, and then just look at testing the other ones. Um, we more and more slowly. I have liked RSAs. They they didn't really work for me that well in the beginning, but more and more I see them working better. Um, 
And when we've seen them, I, I know this probably isn't really applicable to most people, but on our uh, a few accounts that we have that are grant accounts, which are limited anyway, the moment you add RSAs to a grant account, impressions and clicks go up. So if you're really trying to milk that free money with a grants accounts, RSA that one up completely. <laughs> And that's interesting because there's probably less focus on conversions in those accounts. So Google can sort of get you maybe the, the junkier traffic and still get a good enough quality score. Yeah, and you're okay with it. Absolutely. Exactly, yep. because all you care about is that brand exposure. But if you actually cared about conversions, then then that gets into some other topics we could talk about here, but like broad match and like how willing are we to take just any query that comes in. And by the way, we don't know what the queries are anymore. So yeah. Well, um, it's all it's all just match now. It's all the same, right? <laughs> basically, yeah. So it makes our lives easier if they got rid of match types. Yeah, can uh, we agree? Can we agree the keywords are gone? Like they're there, but they're not. Well, that's what you said last time too, right? So yeah, they're gone. Yeah. I, I just want more people to get on my keyword list boat with me. <laughs> yeah, no, you weren't one. Uh, you were the first one to say it. So and and that's where I mean we're looking more and more into automation with stuff like that. Um, I, I, I think you had shared previously, Fred, um, the search engine land article by uh, Ginny Marvin about broad match. Um, I had, I'd commented on that, you know, so we're, we're just really trying to think through this whole idea of Google leaning hard into automation. Um, those of us who've been running things for a while, you know, it can be frustrating. Sometimes it's just the fact that it's changed. I, I mean, I fully admit to there being a frustrating level of learning something for a decade and then having that change so I know as much as an intern on this one specific thing, right? There's a frustration to that. The flip side of that is, unfortunately, there's an evolution of that that needs to happen too. And with automation, you know, we're trying to really think, how do we, how do we in some ways reinvent the way we think about structure and these sort of things? And so on that broad match idea, we've started testing things like, okay, Google, like, let's, let's give this a try. You get target row as bidding you get a few very tightly controlled broad match keywords where everything else is excluded. So we, we are making sure that if we're targeting things they are in the, their thing and we're treating this less as a specific, we know what we want to get from this campaign and a little bit more of a, here you go, Google. I want to reach upper funnel type stuff that I never would have thought of that might even be more bottom funnel that I didn't know of. Let's see what you can do. And uh, treating it a little bit like, in some ways, I mentioned the smart shopping. Um, I've seen others do that with things like DSA as well. Uh, maybe later on remarketing or even trying DSA with T. Roas and, and really trying to limit some things with negatives and all that. And trying to think through different aspects of the account in terms of here are the really locked down things that we target, these specific keywords, these like that is more controlled. And then also here is is giving Google's automation the chance to go out and find us stuff that we never would have found when we're just mining a couple of search term reports in that. Right. And overall, I've I've been surprised overall by the results. And it it has us leaning into trying to rethink some of that stuff more than we we did a year ago. Yeah, and I think that makes total sense because you said, I mean, like, hey, should we focus on upper funnel and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like the goal is to probably increase revenue, increase profits, and upper funnel is one way to get that. But like, why do we have to control that, right? If Google can can explore it, I mean, does upper funnel work within the bounds of the ROAS targets and the profitability targets that we've set? Um, and so I think the key point that you made in the article too, or in your tweet response to Google's changes, if you're gonna run broad match keyword, <laughs> with manual bidding, 
and manual add text, well, that's when the problems arise because now you're bidding the same price for a junky search term that comes off of that broad match as for a good one. But if you let smart bidding figure it out, it knows that that's probably not as good of a query. And if it doesn't know right away, I mean, it'll figure it out in two or three clicks, right? And then and then the price starts going down and eventually it's still giving you the results within the bounds of ROAS, mm -hmm. whatever you said, it should stay with and, it. And it really is dependent on, it is almost 2021 with Google's machine and not 2019, 2018, 2017, right? Uh, like what we see Google being able to figure out in our audiences, the keywords that we're trying to find, um, what they're able to figure out is better now than it used to be. Right, and here's a scary one about them being able to figure stuff out. So I heard that in smart shopping campaigns, um, which are by default sort of conversion driven, you no longer have to have a conversion pixel installed to be able to start them. So it used to be you had to have a minimum number of conversions. Now they're like, we don't even care if you have conversion tracking, right? So what does that mean? That means that the machine learning system is basically able to look at your products and figure out similarities to other advertisers in the whole ads ecosystem and, and basically knows at what rate that's going to convert and can still do smart shopping for you, right? So that's, that's to the point that you're making. It's not 2017 anymore, like technology since 2017. I mean, Moore's law has doubled computing power two times. So that's a 4X better than what we had four years ago. Yeah, I mean, Fred, I'm glad that you started this talking uh, is about 10 minutes in. Uh, you mentioned talking about keywords in the system and you called it a system. And I'm glad that you call it a system because that's, I think we're all discussing the same thing. And again, I'm gonna get back on my keyword boat because I want friends on here. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's search is less about words now and it's more about inputs. So what that means is we're feeding all this information to the system. Where you live is an input. How old you are is an input. How many children you have is an input. Um, all this information is what feeds the Google system that it takes all these things together and maps. How much do I want this click? So when we're stuck on, again, something like really precise words or like we must set our manual bids, it's kind of like buying a Roomba and then shoving it around your living room. Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> I get it. And like, don't get me wrong, the system has its flaws, but as long as you give it guardrails where you're okay with it being wrong and let it do what it's great at, Kirk, as, as you were just saying, if you feed it information and feed it information that tells it what's important to you and you let it do what it's good at, it usually works. Yeah. And, and I think we're totally on board with that. It's at the same time, it's depending on how much time it needs to get it right. I think that's where us seeing the search queries will help guide it uh, that's, that's, towards towards that right. And I, I know when this whole search query thing was announced, Kirk and I had a discussion here, and I actually think you might have been in on that one too, um, saying like, I didn't think it was a big deal as much. And then you realize how much was taken away. And then one of my coworkers, Tim Jensen, was sh sharing his search query reports. And literally, Google is targeting the exact opposite of what the product is. Not like chocolate milk, milk chocolate. It was a close variant, the complete opposite of what the product was. And it's like, that's dangerous. If we can't see it, and then that's what they're optimizing towards, I think that's what people are afraid of, and now rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And and if if I sounded too pro-Google, now I can sound uh, anti-Google in, in a sense, so I can contradict myself here a little bit, which I think sometimes is healthy. 
And that is, so hopefully Googlers are listening and hearing like, yeah, they're pro automation. We are, but then we're also as Aaron and Joe are, or well, as all three of you are saying, we're, we're pro automation, but we're pro human guided automation. And so there still is absolutely a place for um, us, not just throwing a broad match term with, with uh, T row as bidding and just being happy with that. Cause there are other elements of things that we can pull out. And then uh, to me, a really, really crucial aspect of this is, there's there's still a marketing aspect to this that goes beyond just system defined inputs that they can bid according to. And, and I do think that's an important step that is still a little bit difficult, maybe even still impossible to automate at this point, which is part of managing a PPC account, which is why it's it is more complex than just throwing a few broad match things in there with T-ROAS because now there are other things we're trying to do with that. Uh, losing 90% in some of these accounts of search terms, we use those search terms for other things than just putting, you know, than just excluding or not excluding. There were other ways we use those in our marketing efforts that's gone now. And so I think there's kind of both sides of that. Yeah, so, and I think you said it perfectly, but one thing that we could all ask Google for is we understand that there's privacy concerns and you have to remove search terms, but what about thinking about n-grams, right, unigrams, bigrams, like pairs of words that frequently appear throughout that where we don't necessarily can connect it to one user, but give us that data because we still want to use it for other things that we we want to have some insight, right? So. Uh, I think there's a happy medium that could be achieved. And right now they just had to completely pull it away from us. Um, but I'm hoping that they sort of figure out a way to bring a, the inside portion back, even, even if not like the individual user, um, what did they search for? They just want to pull it. So then they'll have another cool feature for the opportunities. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's not that different from not provided for the SEO folks, yeah. however many moons that ago that was. Um, it's... I'm not sure how many of you follow me on Twitter, but if any, do any, any of you four use Google opinion rewards, the little survey things? No. no. It, for those of you who haven't used it, it's effectively an app on your phone and it used to historically primarily target you when you went to a hotel or something and it would be like, hey, did you actually go to this hotel? Talking about store visits. Um, but of late, I started getting a bunch that are asking me if uh, effectively if a broad match would be correct. So obviously it was Cyber Monday this week. So I was searching for a bunch of coupons because I'm not cheap, but I want to get a good deal. Um, and so in turn, I've been getting a whole bunch of stuff where it's like, hey, does this word sound good for you? And they're like, Iceland coupons. And I'm like, what the, what? <laughs> like, am I buying a discount country? I don't understand. <laughs> but so it seems like they're trying to learn it a little bit more and get more human input to figure out if it works. Um, which makes me think that they're making a lot of tweaks to the algorithm, trying to make it better so that the things like search terms going away in a year, which might happen, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if it did, um, but they're trying to make that better and more tolerable. Uh, I mean, at least what we're doing is that, uh, what we're doing for a good number of clients is that we're throwing everything in the keyword tool on broad match and getting all the keyword suggestions. And then it'll, okay, like now we know what the algorithm is gonna match it to. Here's our negative list. But, uh, yeah, that's a good strategy. So you use the keyword tools to figure out what search terms might come out. Nice. Mm -hmm. Any third-party tools that you love? Um, not, not asking for optimizer because we don't really do keyword suggestions that much. But how else do you find search terms now that Google doesn't give them to you? 
Um, for us using, again, it's a little bit of a return to old, but in a new way, it's using things like search suggest. It's um, looking at the sort of similar suggestions or tools like answer the public or Suvel. Um, again, just figuring out just like Google's trying to steer its um, steer its own ship. Uh, it's kind of steering people's minds too. So like whatever shows up and suggest, like that's where the volume is going to go. So doing that with different VPNs to represent different locations and figure out neighborhoods and stuff like that. Um, that stuff that we used religiously in like 2011 and then went away from, we're now going back to it, but in a little bit of a different way. Hey, let's all hold this up and uh, talk about this. Mine's over there. Aaron. Aaron, go get it. Uh, <laughs> yes. I want a bobblehead. That's awesome. All right. Anyone who wants to send Kirk a bobblehead, uh, ping him later for his address. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, Kirk, congratulations. You got your book out. Uh, I know it's a big effort. Um, it's got good reviews on Amazon. Um, so tell us a bit about the process and uh, like, what are some of the key takeaways that you put in there? Yes, definitely. Um, I always think of Seinfeld. Uh, if, if we have any Seinfeld uh, fans listening, what is it a show about? It's a show about nothing. And I, and I feel like that's my PPC book. What is a PPC book about? It's kind of about nothing but everything. It's, it's, a, it's a very random uh, set of, I, I use the word philosophical, maybe a little bit uh, loosely, but it's, it's a it's a set of philosophical kind of ponderings of stuff related to PPC. So stuff like attribution, stuff like automation and data. And are there any data rights that advertisers have? If so, what could they be? Things like that. Um, we talk about agency stuff, marks of marks of bad clients to avoid that you can see beforehand on your calls with prospects. Um, PPC pricing for agencies, things like that. So just just kind of had this itch to sit down and just a, a lot of the kind of individual things that I just have thought about over the years. I wanted to write on those, get them in, compiled into a book and and push that out. So, well, what I like about it is that you're not necessarily like going at it with the goal of like, hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what the answer is, but it's more like what's been the thought process over the many years of running an agency and considering the pros and cons of everything. And so then sharing with people where you landed at this point, but also the thought process that went into getting there. Um, so I thought that was really valuable. <clears throat> and there's one part and I'll kick in. I, I, I jumped around a little bit reading sections. I, I saved, I'm saving the uh, agency stuff to the end because I don't own, own an agency, but the part I liked about it was kind of towards the end. There's a, there's a little personal part about the end and kind of Kirk thanking people for you process through writing is, is what you said. And it's kind of like reading this book is kind of like being in another town hall like this. And I think that's been, the most enjoyable part like this, it seems like it's an open discussion. You know, all thoughts are welcome. And you do say that multiple times too. It's just, but it's at the moment, you're just hearing one perspective, but still having an open mind to everything. So it really kind of feels like an open discussion while reading the book. That's that's cool. I appreciate that. It, it is, it's intimidating to get your thoughts out there, whether, you know, people who are who like blogging or whatever, because um, especially when you have certain opinions on things, you might be wrong. And it's that that is intimidating. And so um, but at some point, that conversation, I think, is what helps us, because there might be a level where I might look back on this and think, oh, hey, some of the thoughts that I said in this town hall two years ago, wow, I was off. Right. 
but in some ways it's that conversation that's getting us all thinking that's moving us along and so in some ways that's what the book is it's just kind of a conversation that is not intended to lead you to my place but intended to get you to think about it so then maybe you get to a better place i do then you can tweet me tell me about it and then then i'll be smarter too thanks to you there's there's this quote that i found a couple of couple of weeks ago and uh, it's a really really old quote and it's from um paul graham um venture capital guy and kirk i'm gonna correct you twice um so first of all and this is funny because i'm doing what i'm correcting you on opinions cannot be wrong opinions can be disagreed with um so the other the 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 quote is um paraphrasing of course because memory is not that good uh but when an expert is wrong they're not usually wrong they're simply applying their expertise to an earlier version of the world um and i think i find that a lot in and part of what i enjoyed about the book is it's sort of a stream of consciousness combined with a memoir it's a journey through your learning process that you shared with all of us which is it's fun to see and not enough people are willing to share that so it was it was enjoyable to read it was enjoyable to for lack of a better word can watch you learn and, and share everything that you adopted with the rest of the world cool i, I feel like we should all have this big hug <laughs> We're not, we're, not we're not supposed to right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not even on screen. Nope. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, lots of people waiting in here who read the book already. So uh, people really love it. So thanks for putting that out there. And, and just in general, I mean, one thing I love about this industry is that we do share and we learn together. And, um, and, and this session today is really about, like, we have all these old best practices, but Google keeps changing things on us. So... We got to figure it out again. We don't have the answers, right? But it's only by sharing uh, what we've seen and, and, and new techniques that we can all get there together because we're all trying to basically achieve the same thing. And, and what's nice too is that given all this automation, I think a lot of our competitors are basically going to fall off and just be like, hey, fine, I'll use smart bidding and I'm going to let it do what it does. But then for us, we can still have that little bit of an edge by actually figuring out um, how to not necessarily game the system, but you know, take it to its limits. Yeah, I, what we've seen for from our from my my employees, my team, and across the industry, the people who are most successful are the ones who understand the change and don't try to hold on to best practices. They they have a good read of what when something is a big deal, when they do need to change, when they need to completely change, when they just need a different tone. Um, and I think that's the value in in these sorts of town halls and talking with all of you is it's less about what's broken and it's more of eh, what do we got to upgrade a little bit? Yeah. I'll say one thing on that too, though. And so I've heard people, I've written a few posts that say things like, Hey, Google, here, here are some reasons I think you should reconsider some of this automation or, or think through, right. Um, or, or in some ways almost concerning of, of what is Google trying to accomplish? Right. So sometimes I'll hear pushback kind of like a, why even care? Why, why even write that stuff? Just, just jump on board with it and, and move on with Google, right? I know that's not exactly what you're saying, Aaron, because you and I have talked before. But I also think there is needed and helpful industry pushback while we evolve, because there are certain things I, I still maintain and believe that a fully closed private system um, like a smart shopping system is actually ultimately dangerous 
overall. It's it's too closed off. It's too easy for someone at Google someday, if they're not, to game it for their own their own purposes, even if not nefarious. Um, and so I think that, and that's again why these conversations are so good. But I think that I think there is a healthy, and I would encourage people to still engage in in healthy and positive debate and pushback to Google. And I, I would encourage, if there's any Googlers listening, I would encourage Googlers, I almost feel lately that, like, I'll see them talking and at times, you know, inviting maybe someone who uh, agrees with them in terms of fully on board with automation, things like that, inviting them to talk, things like that. There doesn't maybe seem to be as much of a willingness, at least that I've observed, I could be wrong, to say, hey, this person disagrees let's really understand what's going on with search terms. There almost seems to be more of this, 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 this can't, this canyon um, uh, being created of uh, between advertisers and engineers where almost this like, well, of course, advertisers are going to hate it. They hate change and advertisers. Well, of course, Google's going to do that because they hate us. Right. And I think there's, there's helpful things on both sides and like the conversation needs to happen. And I am a little concerned that maybe that's not that's not happening. So while we evolve, let's have that conversation and, and yep. also keep Google on that, that content is valuable because if you're young and you're very new to the, this industry, you will run into that boss. You will run into that client who sees that one article or that one thing from Google and says, how come we're not doing this? You need to be able to have some sort of leeway, if it makes sense, to push back, but then have the knowledge in your head to back up why you're pushing it back. So I, that stuff needs to be out there. One, just for educational purposes, that like you don't have to do this all the time. You don't have to just cancel all your ETAs and implement RSAs right away. You don't have to do this stuff right away until they pull the carpet out, if they do. You know, it's one of those things where just educate yourself and be aware of all the options and figure out what's best for you because two similar accounts can approach things totally differently. Yeah, exactly. When you see these posts that RSAs work better than ETAs, I mean, that's... For one account, right? And by the way, um, I don't know if you guys are doing sessions at SMX this year, um, but that's coming up here in like next week, I think it is. Uh, so I'm doing like the, one of these other big battles, me versus Brad Geddes, RSA versus ETA. Um, I'm going to lean on the RSAs a bit. He's going to lean on the ETAs, but we have some really interesting data. And so uh, um, totally makes sense, right? You got to look account by account. And even if in general, one thing tends to work better, like it still depends on every advertiser. And it also really largely depends on your implementation of that specific feature. Um, are you guys speaking at SMX? No. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, sorry, no. None of us. <laughs> Thanks, 2020. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're not blaming 2020. We're going to make fun of Fred for making us all feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, it was easier to search that website. <laughs> um, no, Kirk, to your to your point before, first of all, that was a great impression of Joe whining about Google. Um, but second <laughs> of all, it's, it's an interesting it point. And I, I think it's one of those challenges. Uh, I'm not going to take the Google side of it, but it's one of those operational challenges where it's product versus engineers versus sales. And effectively, I mean, no beating around the bush. A lot of our Google reps are sales. They're sales. They're not supporting people anymore. That's okay. I don't think Google will deny it. But that's one of the challenges that, that all of us face, particularly as agency owners. We can get fired. Google kind of can't. 
um, which raises a really big challenge. Um, but we've actually, uh, most of my team knows this, but it hasn't formally been rolled out. Uh, we're putting the word best, the phrase best practices in a swear jar. You're not allowed to say it anymore. Beautiful. Uh, you have to say recommendations because if you say best practices, like this is a Google best practice. Yeah, a Google average recommended thing. We recommend doing something different. Okay. So uh, 